series right now called Love, the Heart of the Matter. We're trying to get to the heart of the matter of love. And, and really what we're talking about, happy to the last few weeks, is that it is a matter of the heart. As we get to the heart of the matter, it's a matter of our own hearts. Uh, we're going to continue on speaking about love this morning, but um, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going, I'm going to tell you a story about, uh, this was probably about 20 years ago now, before I was married to my wonderful wife, um, I was actually involved in a, a program that trained young adults into doing church work, and uh, during this program, during this training time, we would have guest speakers and pastors and lecturers would come in and they would teach sessions on different things, and, and one of our favorite um, teachers every year was this guy, he would come in, and, and the reason everyone liked him so much is because he was actually a campus pastor, so he was a pastor of a church on a college campus down in Southern Illinois University, SIUA, in Carbondale. So he was with young adults all the time. I mean, that's all he did, week in, week out, talking to, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds. So whenever he would come and speak to aggregate young adults, he just knew where they were at. And he would talk on all sorts of different things, and that guy's loved it. But he would always kind of get into this, even if he wasn't scheduled to talk on this, he would kind of find himself talking about the, the whole theme of love, sex, and dating. Because the reality is, if you're in that age bracket, that's pretty much all you're thinking about at that point. You're like, where is she? Is she here yet? Who am I going to marry? Uh, where's the man I'm, I'm going to marry? And, and uh, so he would talk on this subject. And everyone had lots of questions, and he was very thorough. He just had some pretty great insights. And he talked from the Bible and from experience. And, and I remember hearing him, and he would use this every year. He would bring this, this teaching and say, guys, I want to talk to you right now. I want to talk to you about the word love. He says, you don't realize this, but for a girl, when she hears the word love, it means something really special to her. If she hears a guy say, I love you, it can melt her heart. But guys, you're wired differently. You can say, honey, I love you. And you can in the same way say, I love cheeseburgers. And you really do love both. I mean, it's not like you're lying, you know, you just, but to you, that word love, it can be used quite casually, whereas to Elaine, when she hears that, she really believes that you love her just a little bit more than you love cheeseburgers. So he would bring this challenge every time he'd say, gentlemen, one day you're going to find a girl and you're going to start dating and that relationship is going to become very serious. And I want to challenge you. He says, I want to challenge you young men in the room that you shouldn't say I love you until you can say in the next breath, will you marry me? That was his challenge. And that guy's like, whoa. He's like, seriously, you, if you're willing to say to a girl, I love you, you should be able to say, will you marry me? Now, I understand the sentiment behind what he was saying because I think he'd seen so much misuse of that word, that word thrown about so casually. Um, just recently, you will have seen, I'm, I'm sure you haven't seen because you're all wonderful people, but there's a show on TV called The Bachelor, and he's in trouble right now because apparently, apparently, he told two separate women that he loved her. Uh, so now he's in all sorts of trouble. I read about this online. That's the only reason I know. Um, but he just threw out that word, I love you. Hey, you know what? I love you too. And it's chaos now. So, so being the young adult that I was, and I was passionate, and I was in love with Jesus, and I was waiting to re meet the right girl, and I started to date this beautiful young lady named Casey Brewer. And um, Casey and I, we've been dating a while. And these words of, of this professor, this teacher, this pastor from this university, they stuck in my head. So I told Casey on in our relationship, Casey, I, I just feel that I'm not going to say I love you until I'm ready to say in the next breath, will you marry me? So I kind of made that commitment. Now, it was a little bit problematic because there were times as we went on in our relationship and I started to realize that this was the girl for me. 
that I would find myself saying, Case, I really, 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 really like you so much because <laughs> I wanted to really convey how much she meant to me, but I'd kind of made this pact that I wasn't going to use that word love until I was really ready to say it for real and, and then ask her to marry me. But that time came, and I was ready. And that day on um, September 12th, 1997, a day I'll never forget, just etched in my... <laughs> in my memory. September 12th, 1997, I dropped to one knee that evening and I said, Casey, I love you. Will you marry me? And I said it all in one breath and, and it was just an amazing time. And, and obviously, I knew at that point that I loved her. It wasn't just like as I dropped to one knee and opened the ring box, I'm like, hey, I think I love this girl. I'm going to tell her. I mean, obviously, I knew by then that I loved her. Otherwise, that would have been a huge gamble. I mean, I'd spent almost $50 on this ring. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, I knew, but I'd kind of made this commitment because I knew that when she heard those words for the first time, I wanted her to know that I really, really loved her that she was the girl for me, that I wanted to know that I was committed not only to love her, but to marry her and spend the rest of my life with her. And the truth is, for Casey and, and for all of us here this morning, I think there's this, this hunger inside of us, this desire to hear those words, isn't there? Let's be honest, I actually believe that God has made us that way. He's created within us this desire to want to hear the words from someone, I love you. I can remember before we were married, there was a, an artist I used to like, a British artist, his name was Martin Joseph, and he had this song, and it was called um, An Aching and a Longing to Be Loved. And it was kind of this slow song, and the chorus was, we all have this aching and longing to be loved. And I would listen to this song as I cried myself to sleep, saying, I do, I have an aching and a But I, I didn't really. But anyway, I, we have this desire. Deep down, we want to be loved. And that's why we've been talking about love with such um, importance over these last few weeks. We, we actually kicked off the series on Valentine's Day. So a little over a month ago on Valentine's Day, we started out and we were talking about um, love in the context of relationships. The first couple of weeks, we talked about staying together. When we talked about against the heart of the matter of love, we talked about staying together. And the idea being that what's it going to take in a relationship for us to stay together? We, we, we kind of narrowed in on the idea that for, for relationships to work, we're going to need to make love a verb. Following that, we talked about what it looks like for us to love God. For us to love God. And we said that when we love God, that that love will drive us to action. And then last week, my good friend Bill Allison was here, and he talked about love in the context of just our day-in, day-out relationships. And he says, you know what the reality is that with friends and family and loved ones, there's going to be mess. There are going to be messy relationships at times. And, and when it comes to love, love is what drives us to clean up those messy relationships. And he talked about what that looks like to clean up those messy relationships. But as we've talked over the last few weeks about our love for God, and we've talked about our love for one another in just regular relationships and the most intimate of love in a, in a marriage relationship. I want to just bring love full circle here this morning. And I want to close out this series on love and finish off with the thought that God loves you. You know, this, this phrase has kind of been weaved in and out of our weeks over the last few weeks, but I want to really just, just camp here this morning and just really get into the idea of, of really conveying to you just how much God loves you. 
This morning we saw a great video, didn't we, of these, these four young ladies and, and sharing why it is that they've chosen to be baptized. And, and really it's because it all started when they realized that God loved them. For one of them, I loved Sam's story. You know, she was, she was driving home and her life was in a place where Jesus really wasn't a central part of her life. And just randomly flipping through the stations, but I believe God knew that her heart was ready to hear how much he loved her. And she landed on a song. And the words of that song were just declaring how much God loves us. And she said, didn't she, in her story, that as I listened to the words of that song, I just started to cry because I realized, Jesus, you do love me for who I am. And I want every one of you here this morning, like Sam, to understand and to know and to realize how much God loves you. His love for those four young ladies this morning caused them to say, I want to go public with my faith. I want to get baptized this morning. So whether you're here this morning as a guest of someone who's baptized or whether it's your first time here, you're just checking us out, or, or even if you've been coming here for months and months and months, I don't want anyone to leave this morning without knowing for certain that God loves you. In fact, God's actually written a love letter just for you. He's written down this letter of how much he loves you, and it's, it's the Bible. And throughout the pages of the Bible, you read time and time again how much God really loves you. Listen, here's a couple of examples that I found this week. One is um, Jesus himself speaking in a very famous verse called John 3.16. Jesus is saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is saying here, listen, let me explain how much God loves you. He sent me. He sent his one and only son. Because whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Years later, after the death of Jesus, a man by the name of Paul um, spent many years traveling around and just telling everyone about Jesus and the difference that he can make. He wrote several letters that you can read in the New Testament. One was to, to the Romans. It was to the people of Rome, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, he's talking about God's love, and he says this. He says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. Paul's just kind of covering everything here. He says, There's nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, but Paul, what about nothing? Yeah, but what about this? No, nothing. Paul is saying, listen, you think, you try to imagine what you think might separate you, and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Now, maybe there are some of you here this morning, and you're really still not sure what you believe. Maybe you're here, and you're not even sure if, you're, um, if you believe that God is even real or not. But maybe one of the reasons you're here is because a friend invited you or, or you knew someone who's being baptized. And even though you're still kind of on the fence, you're certainly um, not really sure about God, that friend that invites you, you can see something in their life. You can see that they really do believe in what they believe in. And you just, you just know, wow, I can see there's something different in you. But whether you're living a life this morning as a follower of Jesus or whether you're just kind of checking things out, I think if you believe that God is real, that any of us that believe that God is real, I don't think we have a hard time believing that God loves us. I think when we think of God, we can quite easily wrap our minds around that idea that God loves us. God is love. 
That's the God I want to believe in, a God who loves us. And I, and I think some of us, we're, we're okay with that. But maybe you're here this morning, and the problem for you isn't believing that God loves us, plural, mankind, people. It's when you take that and, and dial it right down to just you. When you personalize that and say, okay, I, I have no problem believing that God loves us, but, but me? He knows me. He knows my name. I, I, I'm just not sure what I think about that. You want to believe that God doesn't just love the world, but that God loves, insert your name right here. In fact, there's a slide here we're going to put up. It says, God loves you. God loves. And then, then I want you to imagine that your name is there. John, Paul, Sally, Sarah, whatever your name is this morning, it's there in that line. And I wonder if there are some of us here this morning that we just, we struggle a little bit with the idea, yeah, I can believe that God loves everyone, but, but when I personalize it to me, if you knew me, you'd know that I struggle sometimes to believe that. But I think deep down we want that. We all want to be loved uniquely. We all want to be loved not just because we're part of this world and God loves us, but because he knows us. He knows our name and he loves us individually. As I said, we started this series on Valentine's Day just a a little over a month ago. And if you're a parent here this morning, I'm a parent. I've got three children and my youngest is in second grade right now. So Valentine's Day is a really fun time of the year for her because Valentine's Day is when, um, what do we take? What do we send our kids to school with on Valentine's Day? Yes, boxes. They're shoe boxes. Now, you probably got the letter home from the teacher and it said, you know, hey, your child should bring in a shoe box to collect all of their Valentine's cards and their gifts and their candy and that kind of thing. But here's the thing. Who sends a shoe box? We don't, do we? None of us send shoe boxes. And do you want, do you want me to tell you why we don't send shoe boxes? One word, Pinterest. I'm serious. Pinterest. Now, now, here's the thing with Pinterest. Many of you have heard of Facebook, and you probably knew that Mark Zuckerberg was the founder and creator of Facebook, but not many people know who the founder and creator was of, of Pinterest. It was Satan. That's who created <laughs> Pinterest. I'm telling you, because we see these pictures, and we're like, oh, the pressure. I, I, I've got to, you know, if, if that mum's doing that for her child, you know, I can't just send my kid in with a shoebox that says Nike on the side. You know, mine's got to be built like a castle. Or a... So, so we sat down with Emma, and we said to Emma, you know, what do you want, you know, for your shoebox? How about like a nice orange box with Nike on? She's like, no, I want a dog. I'm like, okay. So we jump on Pinterest, and of course, look at that dog. So Emma spent hours making that all by herself. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, think, I think she put the tongue on. No, she, she did, she helped us, she cut some of it. But for hours, Casey and I were cutting bits of wool and we're sticking them to this dog because she, you know, Pinterest drives us to do this, doesn't it? And then have you seen those sites out there where it's like, nailed it, where someone's like put a picture of how Pinterest said it should look and then how theirs looked? I got a good friend, she saw cake pops, and she's like, I think I could make them. Here was her, uh, her, uh, her effort at making snowman cake pops. Can we pop that up there? There they are. <laughs> I, I'll give you a clue. Hers aren't the ones on the left, <laughs> okay? This is the pressure we're under, and we're like, oh, I'm going to do this. But, but fortunately, I've got an incredibly creative wife who was uh, diligent at cutting the wool, and she kind of stuck it all there, and, and our daughter went in with this beautiful-looking dog that she loved, and she, she just, she's still got it now, sits by the side of her bed. But she came home that day with this dog shoebox full of cards, 
full of candy, full of little stickers and gifts because every one of her friends loves her, it turns out. And she loves every one of her friends. And at second grade, that's awesome, isn't it? But I think as you get a little bit older, you start to realize, I'm not sure if I want just a generic card from everyone. I'd like one card maybe from one person who knows my name who knows me and who's taken the time to write a note and say, I really love you. You're the one. I know you. And, 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 and it's a personal card and it's written because I love you. We want to know, don't we, that we are loved for who we are, that someone knows our name and that they love us. Because the truth is that knowing that you're loved, it can change your life. Receiving a personal love note written just to you, it can be life-changing. Check out this video that illustrates just that point. I was one of the only kids in college who had a reason to go to the P.O. box at the end of the day. And that was mainly because my mother has never believed in email, in Facebook, in texting, or cell phones in general. And so while other kids were BBMing their parents, I was literally waiting by the mailbox to get a letter from home to see how the weekend had gone, which was a little frustrating when Grandma was in the hospital, but... I was just looking for some sort of scribble, some unkempt cursive from my mother. And so when I moved to New York City after college and got completely sucker-punched in the face by depression, I did the only thing I could think of at the time. I wrote those same kinds of letters that my mother had written me for strangers and tucked them all throughout the city. Dozens and dozens of them. I left them everywhere, in cafes and in libraries at the UN, everywhere. I blogged about those letters in the days when they were necessary, and I posed a kind of crazy promise to the internet that if you asked me for a handwritten letter, I would write you one. No questions asked. Overnight, my inbox morphed into this harbor of heartbreak, a single mother in Sacramento, a girl being bullied in rural Kansas, all asking me, a 22-year-old girl who barely even knew her own coffee order, to write them a love letter and give them a reason to wait by the mailbox. But you know, the thing that always gets me about these letters is that most of them have been written by people that have never known themselves loved on a piece of paper. They could not tell you about the ink of their own love letters. They're the ones from my generation, the ones of us that have grown up into a world where everything is paperless and where some of our best conversations have happened upon a screen. We have learned to diary our pain onto Facebook and we speak swiftly in 140 characters or less. I was on the subway yesterday with this mail crate, which is a conversation starter, let me tell you, if you ever need one, just carry one of these. And (laughs) a man just stared at me, and he was like, well, why don't you use the internet? And I thought, well, sir, I am not a strategist, nor am I a specialist. I am merely a storyteller. And so I could tell you about a woman whose husband has just come home from Afghanistan, and she is having a hard time unearthing this thing called conversation. And so she tucks love letters throughout the house as a way to say, come back to me. Find me when you can. Or the man who decides that he is going to take his life uses Facebook as a way to say goodbye to friends and family. Well, tonight he sleeps safely with a stack of letters just like this one, tucked beneath his pillow, scripted by strangers who were there for him when... You know, these are the kinds of stories that convince me that letter writing will never again need to flip back her hair and talk about efficiency, because she is an art form now, all the parts of her. 
the mere fact that somebody would even just sit down, pull out a piece of paper, and think about someone the whole way through with an intention that is so much harder to unearth when the browser is up and the iPhone is pinging and we've got six conversations rolling in at once, that is an art form that does not fall down to the Goliath of get faster no matter how many social networks we might join. We still clutch close these letters to our chest, to the words that speak louder than loud when we turn pages into palettes to say the things that we have needed to say, the words that we have needed to write to sisters and brothers and even to strangers for far too long. Thank you. You know, when I was preparing this message, I was thinking about this idea of how we we just desire to that someone knows our name, someone knows to tell us um, that we're loved. And I came across this young lady, I came across her website and this talk. Hannah Belcher is her name, oh sorry, Hannah Brencher is her name. And uh, you can read about her on a blog, she's a follower of Jesus. And uh, uh, just fascinating story about how she came up with this website called um, morelovelettors.com. In fact, there's a picture we can throw up of her right here. This is, uh, this is her. And she had this idea of, of leaving love letters for strangers. And it was so successful that people started writing saying, would you send me a love letter? And, and individual letters would travel across the country and across the world. And then others would, would join in sending and receiving these letters. Because people all over the world were dealing with issues that just, they just wanted to know that there was somebody somewhere that loved them. And this morning I want to tell you that God wants to send you your own personal love letter. God doesn't want you to leave this morning knowing that God loves the world. God wants you to leave this morning knowing that God loves you, your name. That he cares deeply about you and that God loves who you are. I think the reason many of us find this hard to believe is because we know who we are. We know the mess in our lives. We know the things we've done wrong. We deal with this guilt and this shame. And we we struggle with the idea to believe that God could really love me because I know who me is. And the reality is that if you're here this morning and you're experiencing that thought, you're not alone. In fact, Jesus dealt with this himself. There's a great story we're going to look at real briefly here this morning. It's told by Mark. Mark is one of the four um, people that wrote the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark wrote in his account of the life of Jesus. And he's talking about the death and the burial and the rising again of Jesus. And he's describing it in this passage. And he's talking about these three ladies, Mary, Martha, and Salome, who are, who are heading to the grave. They, Jesus has now been crucified. He's been put in a tomb and a large stone has been rolled in front of it. And they're on their way with these spices to anoint his dead body. It was a practice that was quite common in those days. On their way, they're thinking, you know, I'm not even sure how we're going to get the stone out of the way. You know, they're talking about the problems they're going to face. But when they got there, to their amazement, the stone is already gone. And when they look inside this tomb, they discover it's empty. Now they don't know what's going on. And then this young man appears and starts to talk to them. They don't realize this young man at first that they're talking to is an angel. But listen to how Mark describes this conversation. The young man says to them in in Mark chapter, um, we'll pull the chapter up in a second, but in verse 6, it says, don't be alarmed, he said. Mark 14, verse 6, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They want, he wants to make sure that the message is sent. He's saying, listen, Jesus has risen. 
He's going to come back and he's going to visit every one of the disciples. You've got to make sure to go and let them know. But do you catch what Mark said here? Did you notice what he said? He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, have you ever thought about this? Because Peter was one of the disciples. Peter was a disciple. So why is it that when Mark's describing this, that the angel said, tell the disciples and Peter? Here's why I think the angel spoke that way. You see, if you're familiar with the story, Peter was one of Jesus' closest, most trusted friends and disciples. And very shortly before Jesus' death, they're having a conversation. He says, Peter, there's going to come a time here shortly where I'm going to be arrested and taken away. And you're going to deny that you even know me. In fact, three times you're going to deny me. Peter says, there's no way, Jesus. I would never deny you. You're awesome. You're my friend. I love you. There's no way. But, but what happens? Jesus is arrested and Peter is challenged by these people. And three times in a row he says, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm no friend of Jesus. I'm not one of his followers. I'm not a disciple. And the third time that he says it, he hears this rooster crow. And Jesus said, listen, I'll tell you the truth. I know you're going to deny me and you'll know it as well because when you've denied me the third time, you'll hear the rooster crow. And right there, the very last thing that Jesus sees of Peter is him denying him. And then Jesus is led away to be killed. Peter, at that point, realizes that three years of friendship were all destroyed in one weak moment, one stupid moment. And he's got to be just heartbroken that that's the way that Jesus will remember him. And here's the thing. God knew that Jesus was going to reappear to the disciples. God knew that they were going to be reunited He wants to send that message through the angel. Make sure that they know that he's coming back. And you know what? He also knew that for for some of those disciples, that was going to fill their heart with joy and excitement. Yes, he's risen. We're going to get to see him again. But he knew that for one of those disciples, it was going to fill his heart with dread and fear and regret. Oh, no. After what I did, he's not going to want to see me. If he does see me, he's going to want to chastise me or or tell me off or say, I told you so. God knew this. So God sent a very special message through Mary, Martha, and Salome. The angel said, listen, go tell the disciples, but do me a favor. Make sure. Make sure that Peter knows. Could you do that for me? Could you tell Peter that Jesus is coming? Jesus can't wait to see him. Because right now, Peter needs to know that. See, here's the thing. God loves every one of us. I don't think it's possible for God to love one person more than another. I think God's love is so perfect that he loves every one of us perfectly. But sometimes I think there are some of us that need to know God's love just a little bit more than someone else. Sometimes there are some of us because of what's gone on in our lives or mistakes we've made or things that have happened and and we just need to know a little bit more than someone else how much God loves us. We need to hear him call our name and say, hey, tell the disciples, but tell Peter. Tell the world, but make sure you tell, insert your name here, that I love them. There was a very uh, famous Bible commentator. His name was Matthew Henry. He lived back in the 1600s, and um, he was very famous for going through the Bible just kind of verse by verse and really kind of unpacking what each thing meant. And and, uh, here's what he said about this particular passage. 
when talking about this verse, verse six, sorry, verse seven, where he says, tell the disciples and Peter, Matthew Henry says, tell Peter, for it will be good news to him, more welcome to him than to any of them, for he is in sorrow for sin. And no tidings can be more welcome to true penitence than to hear of the resurrection of Christ, because he rose again for their justification. That's kind of 1600s language of saying, listen, Peter needed to know that he was forgiven. Peter needed to know that Jesus rising again meant redemption. It meant forgiveness. It meant love. It meant grace. Go tell the disciples, but make sure that you tell Peter. Because right now, he really needs to hear it. I think God has a Valentine's card that he's written just for you. And he wants you to know this morning that your name is on the envelope. I had lunch with a guy this, this week, actually, and he had no idea what I was speaking on. We'd arranged this lunch a while back. And, and in the midst of our conversation, he said, you know, I, I love being at Connect. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and when you talk about God loving us, I really want to believe that. But the truth is, and he started to kind of share some of the um, stuff that's happened in his life and just difficult challenges he faces. And he said, Dave, I'll be honest. I, I, I have a hard time believing sometimes that God loves me. If I have an easier time believing that he's mad at me. I have an easier time believing that he wants to punish me because I feel like that's what I deserve. I know the, the things I've done. I know the mess I've made, the mistakes I've made. I feel like I deserve that more than God's love. I said, listen, I just decided to preach this sermon to him right there in the restaurant. God loves you so much. I said, in fact, I think God wants you to know today that God loved the whole world, that he sent his only son. But today, he wants you to know that God loves your name. You're like Peter right now. You Go tell the disciples, but make sure that Peter knows. Make sure that this young man knows. Make sure this morning that you don't leave here not knowing how much God loves you. God's love can change our lives. If you're married here this morning, maybe you deal with this. There'll be times where Case and I, you're going to find it's hard to believe, but we don't see eye to eye on everything. Uh, Occasionally, we'll have a little bit of a discussion about something, you know, and sometimes these discussions, they'll go a little bit longer, and uh, I may leave and come back, and the discussion continues. Um, And sometimes I'll leave, and I'll come back in, and I'm ready. I'm like, okay, I've been playing it through my mind. I've played every version of the conversation, every comeback I can think of, and I'm ready to get into another discussion when I return home. (laughs) And I open the door, and she's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, okay. She's made me a cup of tea. I love cups of tea. She's like being nice to me, and I'm like, okay, what's up here? (laughs) Because I'm ready to like argue, and I'm ready to, you know, I've got all my lines ready, and it just throws me off guard completely. And then... I start to feel like, oh, now I feel bad because she's being so kind. She's loving me and she's pouring on. And it, everything changes in that moment. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've noticed that in your relationship. Love just diffuses. Love takes away. Love can transform so much more than, than fighting or argument. And love makes such a difference. And God wants you to know this morning how much he loves you. Make sure you tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure you tell Connect Church this morning that God loves them, but make sure you tell this person, this person, this person, your name, insert your name. God loves us all. God loves the world. But this morning, I think some of you, just a little bit more than maybe some others here, need to know that God loves you. Peter messed up. He let Jesus down. But because of Jesus' love, 
and forgiveness, Peter went on to change the world. Because his relationship with Jesus was restored and he felt that forgiveness and that love, he went on to proclaim Jesus throughout the New Testament world to establish the church. He was a missionary that traveled all over. That never would have happened had he not realized that God loved him. And in that moment, when he got that message, you imagine how it must have felt for Peter when Mary came running in, banging on the door. She's like, guys, guys, guys. I want to tell you, we've just seen an angel. He said that Jesus has risen. He wanted me to come here and tell all of you. But you know what? Peter, he wants to make sure that you knew especially that he's risen and he's going to come back and meet with you all. I pray this morning that you'll leave knowing that God loves you. But just one more step than that, just to conclude here. And all those years ago, back in 1997, when I dropped to one knee and I looked up into this beautiful young lady's eyes and I said, Casey, I love you. Will you marry me? Guess what she said in return? <laughs> she says, nah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, serious. <laughs> and then she's like, I guess. It was such a romantic moment. And uh, <laughs> true story, that's exactly how it happens. But, but then, <laughs> a little later on, she said, Yes. <laughs> I love you too. I would love to marry you. And she did. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah, woohoo! <laughs> you know, it was great in that moment to tell Case how much I loved her, but to have that love reciprocated. My prayer is that as you leave this morning, maybe you came with a friend who was baptized, or maybe you came with a family member. And as you leave here this morning, this could be a revelation to you. Wow, God loves me? I pray that as you ponder on that this afternoon, as you go through this week, that you too would reciprocate. God, I love you too. I want to live my life for you. I want to be a follower of Jesus like my friend who brought me or like the person that I know who uh, was baptized this morning or the person who I know to be a follower of Jesus. God, it's awesome that you love me. But I'm going to take that one step further and I'm going to reciprocate by saying I love you too and I want you to be a part of my life. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, I'm always just so overwhelmed at how much you love us. I believe it, God. I believe that you love the whole world like you said. I believe that there's nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God. But sometimes we read those verses and we read them in the plural, having no problem believing that God can love mankind. But sometimes, God, when we look inside our own hearts and our minds, we're like, but me? God loves me after I did this, after this happened, after... But you do. And this morning, Lord, I believe there's at least one person here who needed to hear that God doesn't just love all of us. God loves this person. Let them leave knowing that as truth this morning. Not just because I said it, but because as I was saying it, in their hearts, they just felt, God, I believe this to be true. God, I believe you're, you're speaking to me in this moment. And Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just sit in the revelation and the um, appreciation of the fact that you love them, but there would be a response of saying, God, I want to show my love for you. I want to change my life. I want to follow after you. I want to make a decision to, to live my life for you because I recognize how much you love me. I want to love you in return. So be with us, God, I pray. Uh, if there are any here this morning that are kind of making that decision, Father, I pray that they'll follow up with that. They'll speak to a friend or a family member or a leader here at Connect saying, you know what? When you shared that, I believe that to be true. I want you to help me figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, to love him 
back in return. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.